Week 11 was a weird one. Jamal Williams, 3x touchdowns. Samaje P. Ryan, 3x touchdowns. Tony Pollard continues to go to Mars. T. Higgins looked dominant out there. And we got a neutral field for Amari Cooper in this Bills offense with fireworks. Let's start there. John Daigle with 4 for 4 and Betsperts. The Cleveland Browns and the Buffalo Bills. Buffalo ends their weird streak of two straight losses. Now 7 and 3, beating these Cleveland Browns 31 to 23. Tell us how it worked because just looking at the box score, it's not a magnificent Josh Allen day en route to 31 points. What a great start to week 11 already. You said it ended in being weird in this game for the Bills, but yep. it actually started with being weird for the Bills too because they had just 15 yards of offense in the first quarter, their lowest first quarter total in the last three seasons per ESPN stats and info. Uh, they didn't have their first down until eight minutes to play in the first half, and the Browns actually led. The Browns, who of course scored on their opening drive, the Browns led 10-6 to late in the second quarter. But then eventually you move on and see the fourth quarter, and you notice the Bills have a 28-10 to lead. So actually it became the Browns moving the ball and dominating whereas then it became the Bills just taking care of business and the Browns, as we've seen time and time again, which is why they're a losing team this year, making mistakes and shooting themselves in the foot. It's no one else's fault. Today, Jacoby Brissett had two fumbles. The Bills mm. also rushed for 170 yards as a team, which is the fifth time this year the Browns have allowed 160 yards or more on the ground. It's been the same show. Josh Allen, when you go back and watch him today, it looks like rookie year Josh Allen. Constant mistakes. I don't blame the injury whatsoever because a lot of it is decision-making. Um, and it's been an issue now for, I would say, 12 straight quarters. But, mm. yes, the Bills at least get it done because of genuinely fantasy MVP in Week 11, Tyler Bass, six made field goals on the day. That's how you win a game. Wow. Wow. You know, it's been this weird streak for the Bills, like you said, over the last kind of 12 quarters. And I think it is fair to not chalk it up to the elbow injury and more just on the pedal to the floor style that Josh mm -hmm. Allen has that for so long he's run hot on. But when it goes bad, it goes bad really poorly. And like it's so obvious to everyone when a, a bad play is, is the outcome. Um, I am a little bit nervous, at least heading into this, that they like didn't have a button that they could press to get things flowing on like a third and short or inside the red zone. But it feels like Dago, at least on the surface, 18 carries for 86 yards and a score for Devin Singletary, 11 carries for 88 yards and a touchdown. I understand it was a lot of garbage time stuff towards the end on a bad Cleveland Browns run defense. But would it be the worst thing in your eyes to see a more balanced Bills offense versus like, let's say what we saw in week one, which is so pass focused and a lot of short and then deeper targets too, to obviously Stefan Diggs, Isaiah McKenzie, and then Gabriel Davis. I would argue that's what happened in the second half of this game. Very mm. similar to Tom Brady and the Bucks against the Seahawks last week, where the Bucks became a running team in the second half. Brady, his lowest total in pass attempts in that game in, in Munich. This game in the second half, they leaned on James Cook. Like, I understand Devin Singletary, as you mentioned, still played over 70% of the snaps in this game. But James Cook still had two 10-plus yard runs, not in garbage time, when they were still icing the clock and putting the game away. That was important. They literally hid Josh Allen in, the, in those last two quarters. And I think that's the way you play this right now, especially when you run into matchups like this, where the game plan anyways, as great as Josh Allen is, at least while he figures out whatever the hell is going on right now, the game plan should be anyways, let's take care of business on the ground because that's the blueprint that's what this opposing defense allows so that's genuinely what happened with two running backs today still odd though 
that we are three games into Naheem Hines' Bills tenure, a couple big plays on special teams, but now just two touches across those three games. Yeah, I think for for one combined yard, he had he got blown up on a, a play. It wasn't his fault. Uh, looking at it, the Bills had 29 series. 17 of them started with a rush. So obviously game script and matchup play into that. But I would have to guess that would be the first time that's happened uh, in a very long time. I know so you're stop the rut game, right, Daigle? Because again, you lose the Jets, you lose the Vikings. Then this next series you had was the Browns and Lions. Like two teams losing records. We can't allow this to be three or four out of the last four, you know? Because then after that, it's back inside the division with a trio of games against the Patriots, the Jets, and the Dolphins. So like this is one of those games where we talked about it heading into this one. They had a rut last year where they lost like four of six. Like this just happens even for the best teams in the league. Like you go through these ups and downs throughout the season. And so while it's not as perfect as we saw, you know, in the opening six, seven games here, hopefully they do start to gel a little bit more. I'm just a bit shocked that like Dawson Knox, Gabriel Davis go above Stefan Diggs here because it's not like the Browns are a shutdown back half in their secondary either. Again, they were lost. Uh, Stephon Diggs' first target didn't come until during the two-minute drill before the half. And that happened on that five-yard touchdown in the back of the end zone to give the Bills a lead heading into intermission because the Browns literally just lost him in coverage. I believe NFL Next Gen Stats charted the next closest man being eight yards away. Just completely lost him in the back of the end zone. Um, Having said that, before then, uh, Stephon Diggs, a little bit of a blow-up, did go over talk to McDermott. McDermott calmed them down. They get back on the field, and that's when they start sandwiching digs more targets. But either way, the moral is today, at least, the passing game wasn't it. Like, that's mm. not how they were going to get it done. On the other side of the ball, because I know you're looking at the box score, you're going to see 113 and two touchdowns for our boy Amari Cooper. Neutral uh, field. The, neutral field. At the same time, it doesn't look great whenever you see that he actually had 691 to touchdown in the first half. So they actually shut him down more. His second touchdown came in the fourth quarter in true garbage time. So impressive still. They were getting the ball. If you only watch the first quarter as well, Jacoby Brissett genuinely throwing dots, uh, deep shots that where he was completing. But again, it's the bonehead of mistakes that caught up to what is now a three and seven Browns team that essentially eliminated themselves from the postseason. One quick little note with the Bills. It looks like it was just like there wasn't explosive plays. Looking at their just uh, passes, they had a 90th percentile in success rate. They didn't have anything big downfield. I think that's kind of been the big difference recently. Yeah, with Amari Cooper, it's 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 definitely uh, not not the the crowd noise or or the Tempur Pedic. We're we're trying to figure out what's going on here. I'm guessing it might be the crowd noise. Be, I guess you know not a true or there was like 50,000 bills fans there this is noise is it what could just is. be something that looks like a sequence that is not a sequence based on randomness of home and away splits based on someone who is also an inconsistent player throughout his career who has highs and lows performances in a multitude of situations that just this year and even last year looks like home and away splits uh daigle uh david and joku 21 routes on 52 dropbacks did he at least exit the game with his health, we're trying to get uh, some tight end ones back in the mix. He looked good. Uh, okay. He was asked to try to jump three stories for a couple bad Brissett throws in the second half. And honestly, he had explosiveness on the film. So I, I genuinely think we see him ramped up leading into next week. Also a, a good spot for the Bills here to take care of business because both them and the Lions pretty much played four quarters of cushion in the second half of their games, which sets up well for a short turnaround on Thursday morning. Yeah, just pinpoints for the Browns in the first half here. Uh, Nick Chubb, 14 carries for 19 yards. Like, yep. 
This Bills defense opened as one of the best in the league, went through some tough spots because they've lost so many players due to injury. Even in this game, no Tremaine Edmonds. Some of their defensive backs are out as well. That's a huge statement for them. I understand, like, again, the Browns record was three and six heading into this one. They're not a winning organization right now, but they definitely have areas where they can dominate opponents. We've seen it this year, and the Bills stood up to that very well. Last note, Dawson Knox, 27 routes on 32 dropbacks. We are looking for tight end ones. He hasn't been getting touchdowns yet. I think that will end up regressing. I think I'm viewing Dawson Knox back as a top 12 tight end with some others going down with injuries. Two questions before we leave this game, Daigle. One, is James Cook a potential wrinkle in the rest of Devin Singletary's season when we've seen Singletary own this backfield in neutral and negative game scripts about 76% of the time? No, I think okay. given the amount of touches you today, given the snaps I mentioned earlier, uh, this was game plan specific and getting James Cook involved in the second half, not the first half, because again, they were trying to run the ball heavily. I don't think that matters since Singletary is still the lead back here. But in this area of the fantasy football season, as we approach the playoffs, having running back insurance, running back handcuff, I know it's like the Bills rushing offense and it hasn't been great from start to finish this season, but he might be a name to think about adding in that regard. Um, and if we're, other, go ahead. If we're talking about strictly context, I mean, Josh Jacobs is the only running back to go over hundred yards today. The only other running back to reach 90 yards in the ground was Najee Harris. So yep. why the hell not pick up everybody who cares <laughs> next one? Uh, we're about to get to John Watson after the Buccaneers game. Uh, against the Houston Texans in about week 13 or week 14. We're going to take 15 seconds on that game too. Okay. All right. Just want to bring that up one up. All right. Let's now go over to the Cowboys at the Vikings. Well, we were hoping for a really good game. Turned out not to be one as the Cowboys improved to seven and three and pummel the Vikings 40 to three. How'd it happen, Hayden? It was the defense stepping up. First of all, Micah Parsons had eight pressures here but it wasn't just him there's they got this little rotation going in dallas and the left tackle for the vikings leaves with a concussion one of the best left tackles in the game and after that Kirk cousins was just melting under pressure there was really nothing they, they can get right I, I saw trevon diggs shadowing justin jefferson early in the game trevon diggs is playing i think better ball now than he was with all those interceptions he's actually locking some players down now so that was what happened with the vikings they couldn't get anything done tj hawkinson had a Probably his, his definitely his worst game as a Viking. They couldn't get anything go going on the ground. This game was a complete blowout because on the, the Cowboys side of the ball, Zeke Elliott was setting up Tony Pollard, really wearing out these linebackers early in goal line situations. And then Tony Pollard was ripping off some big plays. Obviously caught that ball in the flats, tons of bursts, and then had that wheel route on the perimeter. So the first four plays of the game go to Zeke Elliott. Tony Pollard has a stretch where he gets stuffed at the goal line twice. Zeke Elliott ends up with the, both of the goal line touchdowns here but no question tony pollard was absolutely phenomenal in this game cd lamb had one of the best catches of the week uh next gen stats had him 1.1 yards out of bounds where his shoulders were that was the lowest or the the furthest out of bounds uh players had a catch in a very long time according to next gen stats and then dak prescott when he was not pressured 20 of 20 so this was a basically a perfect game for the cowboys i think you make an argument them the Eagles, maybe the 49ers as the best teams, and then the Vikings. Uh, their record is 8-2, and two, but I believe they're the first team with that record to have a negative point differential. This is almost the perfect Tony Pollard game for us to finally latch on to what the truth is going to be in a split backfield moving forward. Because as you said, he and Zeke completely split this backfield 15 carries, 15 carries. 
Sure, Zeke got, what, two short yards touchdowns because his longest run was eight. Meanwhile, you get a 20-yard run from Tony Pollard, 80 total yards, 15 carries, and then a 68-yard reception. Like, CeeDee Lamb can be really good. We had Michael Gallup have a couple third-down conversions. We know what Dalton Schultz is as a player. But adding this one little element that is maybe top three, top four explosive backs in the league and Tony Pollard, who's also, I think, winning on contact this year a bit more often, too. This brings this Cowboys unit to a totally different, I think, animal than what we've seen from the past. When you've gotten excited because they like lead the league in points when Dak Prescott was a quarterback just a few a few years ago, but now again, Tony Pollard and the juice he's bringing is magnificent. Yeah, they had Tony Pollard and twenty one personnel on some of these jet motion stuff. So I think they're using the both of these backs appropriately. Get Tony Pollard out in space. This wheel route was excellent. Tons of burst on the perimeter and then into the short yardage stuff. Zeke Elliott looked good, picked up all the yards in short yardage. So this was just a, a basically the perfect game for the Cowboys to be treated as legit Super Bowl contenders, which they very clearly are. Tony Pollard actually had out touched Ezekiel Elliott 19 to 16 through the first three quarters. Whenever Malik Davis then began playing intermittently in the start of the fourth quarter. Uh, so to that point, if we were to cut off the rates Pollard had handled, 54% of their backfield touches and 66% of snaps, which would both qualify as his highest rates in any game with Elliott this year. So there actually was a slight usage change in favor of Pollard. It's not just what happened from the box score. What went wrong from the Vikings standpoint? Christian Darisol was back in this game. Michael Parsons, I know, got an early sack fumble. Was it just like a big wave that just was building up, building up, maybe an avalanche per se? And then once you get out of this hole against the Cowboys, when they know you're going to throw the football, they can rush the passer at an elite level. Yeah, Darisaw left with a concussion here. So that's uh, clearly bad news for him. And then, yeah, it was just Michael Parsons. I mean, eight pressures. The entire time when this game was completely blown out, uh, everyone was like, why why are all these star players playing? And then Michael Parsons gets rolled up on. Uh, and then he ends up coming back in the game, which is like, oh, that's cool, but let's get him off the field now. It seems like he's avoided injuries uh, for this entire season. He's been very close to them, but yeah, I mean, this was just pressure up front, and then I would like to see the all-22, but I'm guessing that Trayvon Diggs played a really, really good game uh, on Justin Jefferson. Uh, there's also a little bit of very small sample, but what happened last year? Dan Quinn now has played Justin Jefferson twice. He had 21 yards last year. He had 33 th- yards this year. So maybe something to keep in mind if they run into each other and the playoffs this year too. Cowboys are in such a good spot. I mean, coming up, they face the New York Giants. Then after that, it's the Colts, the Texans, and the Jaguars in three straight games. Daigle, do you think neutral field right now? Eagles, Cowboys, who's favored? Ooh. I think Cowboys. Ooh. It's so close. <laughs> we might get I mean, it. It's 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 got to be Eagles because they already at least beat them one time, and both teams were healthy. And remember, the Eagles took care of Micah Parsons and calling RPOs and dragging him out to the flats, not allowing him to to pressure Jalen Hurts. So they actually showed a good blueprint as well as how to beat them. Yeah, I mean, instead of blocking Micah Parsons, you use him as the read man. Right. Um, I I actually love Dak Prescott today. I think it was like a third and six. Hayden, he made a check, did a little action, and then had his own bootleg and rushing. And I'm so glad he's comfortable doing that after the injury last year. He's so in charge of the game, and they're mixing in all these little things. And again, an explosive player that you can get out in space against a linebacker in Tony Pollard. As much as I appreciate Zeke's talents, that's different. That's a different what? wrinkle. 
watch Pollard's second receiving touchdown. Um, yes, it takes someone with Pollard's explosiveness to beat their man straight up, but then you have to hit them in stride steal down the sideline. And Dak literally couldn't have walked it over and put it in yeah. his hands any better. Love 20 that. of 20, not pressured. That's yep. wow. as good as it gets. The Atlanta Falcons improve, if you want to say that, to five and six on the season, beating the Chicago Bears 27 to 24. There's a bunch of big notes here, including an opening drive touchdown to Drake London when he came all the way from the right side on the two-yard line to the left end of field. Great throw by Marcus Mariota. Uh, sadly, it was Drake London's only catch of the day. Um, Justin Fields should have had a 67-yard touchdown to Darnell Mooney, but did have a rub route touchdown to him inside the red zone on third and eight. So glad they're allowing Justin Fields to throw more in this game. Uh, Cordero Patterson started. This contest ended 10 carries of 52 yards, had another two catches for seven yards. But most importantly, when down 17 to seven, this dude, a 31 year old kick returner, the best we've ever seen, sets an NFL freaking record with a 103 yarder, bring him to be statistically the best returner in NFL history. And again, at this moment, it was so needed for this offense. Down 17 I, to seven, 17 to 14, and they go on to win it at the end. Like, I don't, I'm going to allow you guys to talk about Cordero Patterson because, in an age where kick returns are down because of rule changes, this guy, again, at 31 years old, breaks NFL records. And that's just cool to witness as fans. All you need to do on the video is watch him split two and 37 because he literally beats them to the hole. And then, like clowns, they just run into each other because Patterson runs between them. At so his good. age. I mean, it's so crazy. Good. And this was immediately after having an awesome run that was a cutback, gained 20 yards, got tackled from behind, and fumbled it. So it was a huge, huge makeup play. Um, I'll take us now to like the fourth quarter because there's a lot to talk about here. About, what, 27 to 24 at the time. They have like a minute and 45 left on the clock. Luke Getze calls a designed run for Justin Fields gets tackled out of bounds along the left sideline, uh, is clearly banged up, hurts his left shoulder, lays on the ground, so they have to call a timeout to get medical attention. Luke Getze then, seeing his quarterbacks injured, calls another design run on the next snap, stupidly, and then there's a tipped interception on third down. Why that is so frustrating? Because you need about 50 yards in order to get a field goal and hopefully tie this game. On the previous series... Justin Fields was thriving as a passer inside the pocket game slows down points to David Montgomery along the right sideline to turn it up against Lorenzo Carter hits a perfectly placed sideline pass to his running back for a 32 yard game. Then he also has an awesome touchdown pass while staying patient in the pocket, avoiding three sacks, buying himself some time to hit Equinemia St. Brown for a third and 12 conversion to gain 16 yards. Again, 63 of 75 yards on the previous drive were made by throwing and on passing plays. And the coordinator shrivels into a little ball and says, I'm going to ask you to have two design runs while banged up. So it's just sad. Now, maybe in sprained AC joint, we're waiting on further confirmation on Justin Fields' injury. It was a really strong performance that didn't really allow him to have a chance at a game-winning drive at the end because of the play calling, I think. His 16 carries were also a career high. And as you saw that, 
I, I know it, it made the game count. Like the, it was a game losing interception, but he couldn't even throw his hip into it. He couldn't throw his other side of the body in the throw. He was basically pedaling backwards. He was in so much pain. So I'm worried. Yeah, I mean, th- we saw the splits. I think it was Kyler's throwing shoulder, but a similar type of injury, similar part of the season. And there was some really drastic uh, on-off splits with with Kyler Murray. So I- I'm definitely concerned with with Justin Fields. It would be nice if they can use their second-round pick for one-year rental uh, for not just uh, 40% of the snaps here, still playing behind Equinemius St. Brown. Instead of some of those quarterback design runs, why don't you use Chase Claypool uh, to a little bit? So there's definitely a... Um, you want to use the design runs. We welcome it, obviously, for fantasy, but there is something to overdoing it. I think that the line is once he's already hurt, you got to pump the brakes a little bit. Yeah. I mean, midseason trades can be difficult because you have to hit the playbook on the fly. But in three games, Chase Claypool now has five catches for 32 yards. Uh, it was a top 40 pick, probably. He was traded for. And now, hopefully, he gets packaged into this offense before the season is over. And if not, you have to pay him his money and then hope he is incorporated into the offense. And he's not, he, he's, he's a schemed up guy. Like that's just like kind of what Chase Claypool is. Maybe he can win a couple go balls, but that's it. Um, I'm looking David Montgomery, 55 of 69 yeah. snaps here. How did he look? I saw a couple like broken tackles and then like three yards, kind of like classic David Montgomery stuff. I wouldn't be shocked if this is his highest force missed tackle rate of the season was making people miss uh, again, had that great reception down the right sideline. I think people gravitated towards Khalil Herbert this season because of the big plays and the force missed tackles. They'll be very pleased and sure is against the Atlanta Falcons, but that's what we project against, you know? Uh, there was nothing wrong in his performance. And again, I understand that it was a, another game with a game-ending turnover for Justin Fields, but you can see it every single week. The game slows down as a passer. We just need to see more of that. Um, I also want to bring up Marcus Mariota too and the opposite end of this because while there was really nothing flashy, again, Kyle Pitts, just three receptions, 43 yards. He leaves, I believe, in the second or the third quarter after taking a shot to his thigh on an in-breaking route that he catches. Uh, walks by his own strength to the locker room. It doesn't sound like a serious injury, um, but then they kept running like the same exact downfield patterns with Michael Pruitt, and it just hit very differently. Anyways, this was very much a game on the ground with Mariota getting 25 yards, CPAT 52 yards, Tyler Algier 55 yards with a closing run of 26 there. Uh, We've said it before, Hayden, but it's almost the best case scenario for the Bears to look good with Justin Fields to lose this game. However, the injury is that little small detail that makes it potentially an awful Sunday. I guess the question for the Falcon side is assuming Kyle Pitts is going to miss a couple weeks. This looks like bone bruise MCL type of Oof. injury here, uh, which can linger. And, you know, I mean, like Dalton Schultz kind of had similar type of injuries this season. What it, could we get excited about Drake London? Like he's he's not like rotating out like he was earlier on the year. But I mean, this pa- passing offense is going to be so gimmicky. I think that he's good enough to be like a wide receiver three, but. I, I still think anything beyond that is they, they aren't much. doing anything to script him open or to zo- right. design him open. Like Olamita Zacchaeus is seeing just as many of those. So is Cordero Hodge, <laughs> you know, like there's nothing in this that's saying, Hey, we need to funnel targets to Drake London because that's just not what the passing offense is. Despite us seeing teams do that week in and week out to their best players. It's- it's the same thing as Kyle Pitts. The target share, the routes run don't matter because nothing changes every week. You can cross your fingers and start them, but that's just one option. I, I want what one more note on uh, Darnell Mooney, like wide open downfield. He obviously had that touchdown he nearly. Yeah, that was a great, great design, but then nearly had that long pass. We've seen Cole Komet get open deep. I think if Justin Fields is 
okay in staying in the pocket. I do think that there's 50-yard touchdown opportunities in this offense. I don't think that we were able to say that earlier on. So Darnold, Darn, no floor, but I think that he's a flex play in most leagues. I felt better about his opportunities today than I have all season long because it felt like early on we need to get him involved. There were some closer things towards the line of scrimmage, and as you said, there was more of that downfield stuff. Yeah, it was just a bad toss by by Fields on the one that was about two or three yards extended. The cornerback fell down. That's why he was totally wide open. And Cole Komet had another awesome grab. <laughs> like it was an inbreaker from the slot, a stab one handed. That was a rocket from Catch Justin his life. And, and he brought it down. Uh, but again, that just equals three for 35. Uh, and, the rest of the way for the Bears, by the way, I mean, big, big rest of season bet day between me and Hayden for I have Justin Fields. He has Lamar Jackson. The rest of the way, it's the Jets defense, the Packers defense. Then we get that bad start to the uh, fantasy football players with the Eagles and the Bills with him as well. Guess right. it depends Indeed. on Fields' health yeah. because uh, Fields is not healthy. Cole We're doing Komet, points Dar- per game though. We're doing Darnell Mooney, okay. Cole Komet, Darnell Mooney, um, none of them matter if, uh, if Fields isn't healthy. Dago, why don't we Trevor Simeon to, can't run that offense? Why don't we jump to the Eagles and the Colts then? Why not? A game that had some weird coaching moments. Nick Sirianni returning to Indianapolis and in the final moments victory for Jalen Hurts and company 17 to 16 to bring their total to nine and one on the season. Weird game. Jonathan Taylor opens up with seven carries, 49 yards and a touchdown on the team's first drive. And then they basically forget about him, giving him only five more carries the rest of the half and not attacking the Eagles where they've leaked production through their trenches over the last month without Jordan Davis and both Linville Joseph and Indomitian Sue were both active today. So a little bit more of a plug, but nonetheless still struggling against the run 13, three, the Eagles trail in the fourth quarter Eagles score on a touchdown in the red zone to Kez Watkins. And then we get the, a little bit of a roller coaster. JT fumbled an ugly fumble too, that he had no business even dropping on the next series, but literally the next play, AJ Brown catches the ball and then fumbles in the middle of the field and gives it back to the Colts. So we eventually get the Eagles driving the field with less than two minutes remaining. And that's when they respond with a wide open Jalen Turtz hurts seven yard rushing touchdown inside the 10 yard line. No tacklers around the gap spread wide open for him. Um, The Colts yet again, crash, but Nonetheless, it was another game where the Eagles offense struggled immensely until those final 10 minutes of the game. Mm. So what got to work then after that? Because like Alex Goddard missing him is a pretty core component here. When you're looking at the Eagles and like what is working in the past, the rushing game previously had with Miles Sanders just today, 47 yards. Devontae Smith's been up and down today, six for 78. AJ Brown, five for 60. And really... Nothing else. Are, are we getting to the point where I'm not saying defenses have figured out this Eagles offense, but how much they were smashing them, you know, in previous games. And here you have 25 attempts for Jalen Hurts compared to 33 runs overall, 16 of which were his own, obviously, for 86 yards in the score. And teams are also reducing Philadelphia's playbook and killing the clock more. Um, again, since the cold set success on the ground, we also saw. A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith, as we expected, account for 64% of Jalen Hurts' targets. Um, no one else matters when Dallas Goddard's out. You just give it to your two best players, and that's it. I, I guess Devonta Smith now is like more of an has a better chance of hitting his upside case as like a wide receiver three. But I do think that it does matter a little bit that the Eagles' defense, um, their run defense has not been as strong recently. They did add Linval Joseph and Adonik and Susan, maybe that irons things out here. But uh, Jalen Hurts just like took what was given to him uh, this game looks like and got out of there with a, with a win. 
my, my question, Dago, real quick, is these screens, swings, whatever they are, like the four behind the line of scrimmage, one just beyond it, who'd those go to? Because I didn't see Devontae Smith get any like tunnel screens or anything like that. No, no, no. There was it was some AJ Brown, uh, some Boston Scott. Got it. And we, you know, I, I mentioned in a couple of shows this past week at four for four, Devonta Smith's over three yards per route run against zone coverage. 64% of his targets have come against zone coverage. So that's the guy they were really feeding. Um, as someone in the chat mentions as well, AJ Brown was a little bit upset for, from times because he was hammered on the first couple drives and then essentially forgotten. But also that came down to Eagles pass protection, mm. uh, getting called for over 70 yards of holding penalties here, uh, struggling to keep up with Yannick Ngakwe, still battling injuries in their trenches as well. So it was honestly just a sloppy game for Philadelphia overall. Looking at Jonathan Taylor, uh, 21 routes on 37 dropbacks was not an every down player with Deion Jackson back in the mix here. So I still think that he's going to be fine. Jeff Saturday obviously wants to get him the rock as often as they can. And Matt Ryan being in there, at least they can move the ball on offense. Uh, but obviously last week's game was was more bullish than what it was uh, today. Yeah. And Jay, Jonathan Taylor last week also 100% of the team's running back targets with Deion Jackson back 50%. Split it with Deion Jackson four for four as Matt Ryan continued dumping off, even though he did have a couple deep shots to Alec Pierce in this game who led the team in targets. And what we've seen from Michael Pittman over the last two games with Matt Ryan back at the helm, seven targets, nine targets, 75 yards, 53 yards. So it's probably like around the average of 62 yards a week that we can expect from Michael Pittman on about five or six receptions moving forward. Like it's not a ceiling play that we drafted him as the summer, but at no. least that gives you some, you know, flex stability. Oh, I, I think he's more than that. I think he, you can talk yourself into like low end wide receiver too, but I, I agree that oh. the ceiling is just not there. I mean, those targets are, are, he's a good player and the targets are at least there, but the targets, the targets are so close, you know? Like there's a difference between a 17 yard target and like a seven and a half yard target, you know? Mm -hmm. All right, Hayden, we need to challenge the people out there before we get to your next game. This week, Thanksgiving is one of the most beautiful fantasy football slates ever. We have the three games on Thanksgiving day and then next in week 12. We want to focus on that beautiful three game slate because for the people out there, we've created a game on underdog fantasy. And it's just for our viewers and listeners. And that is it. Yeah, so how you can find it, you're going to go over to the draft section, then go to lobby, go to the NFL, and then you're going to go down and find the NFL Thanksgiving slate. And that's where you will, it'll eventually pop up here. Um, yep. But yeah, it's going to be $5 entries. If we fill it, there will be another one. Uh, I think that you can enter it five or six times. It's going to be four person drafts. Uh, there's going to be obviously six teams available. So there's going to be some game theory that we're going to go over on a stream on Tuesday, but get in there, fill it. If you want more listener leagues, more rate free contests, more bonuses, more, more pick them stuff. Like you got to come support us so we can come support you later. So this is the test run. So yep. anyone listening, go find this. If you're on YouTube, we'll go over where to find it exactly uh, on the next stream. We'll, we'll put it on our next stream. We'll put it on socials. We'll put it in the chat and we'll put it in the, the link in the description down below when it is live. Again, just go to the NFL section should be down there when you click down on the Thanksgiving slate. Excited for it. This is just for you, people. Let's fill it. All right. Next up, Hayden, talk me through this Baltimore Ravens and Carolina Panthers game. Because as much as we have loved the Ravens at point this season, only putting up 13 points on a Panthers defense with Lamar Jackson not even having a passing score 
the leading receiver being a shocking name out there. What is going on right now with Baltimore? It was all Demarcus Robinson here, but I think the moral of the story, and I saw it in a couple of plays with Lamar Jackson, he's holding on to the ball a little bit longer, and his ADOT was only 4.2 yards downfield. That's third percentile among all quarterbacks. They're just no one's really getting open. Demarcus Robinson uh, obviously was the best primary thought uh, target this game. Mark Andrews out there looked fine to me. Nothing, nothing too different in his game, but uh, no explosive plays right now for uh, Lamar Jackson. Ronnie Stanley leaves with an ankle injury, kind of similar to how he really busted up his leg. So I'm hoping that he's not uh, having uh, any kind of setbacks with that. But there just weren't nothing, nothing too explosive here, and that it was just a pretty ugly game uh, for Lamar uh, did have a zone read touchdown in the fourth quarter to put this thing out. His interception was to a defensive tackle um, behind the line of scrimmage, kind of a fluky play, but as you can see, lots of schemed up stuff, uh, nothing really too deep downfield. This is one of the more staggering passing charts that I can remember. Uh, everything. Well, let's say what 80%, 75% of his passes are to the right side of the field. I want to dig in this week and figure out why I am assuming, and maybe you can tell me from an eye test, CJ Henderson was lining up on that side and JC Horn was opposite. And I think teams are just really starting to target CJ Henderson as we go along. And this might be something heading into each week. Cause if Demarcus Robinson can get 130 yards as an outside wide receiver on nine catches and nine targets, it might be something worth tracking here. Uh, opposite JC Horn's a really quality player. Opposite him, not so much, especially with Dante Jackson going out with an Achilles. So if this is mostly, we'll look it up with snaps, CJ Henderson side, big eyes, twirling brain. Uh, look, looking at the Ravens right now, De Demarcus Robinson had an 89% success rate. Mark Andrews, 75%. Then you have Justice Hill with uh, 25%. The other seven players for the Ravens that got targets had a 0% success rate. 0%. Wow. So this is like what we talked about going into the year. Good offense if this team could stay healthy, but they have no depth, and we're starting to see that here. Talk to me through the running back situation. Kenyon Drake, uh, yeah. 10 carries, 46 yards. Next closest was Justice Hill at 7 for 30. Yeah, Kenyon Drake was out there early, was getting absolutely stuffed. Uh, Justice Hill mixes in a little bit. But yeah, when, when this offense isn't being that explosive, it's hard to get Kenyon Drake uh, all the way there. So... Um, he was out there playing playing slightly more snaps, but this was a little bit more 50-50 than it was uh, the previous weeks because Kenyon Drake wasn't doing anything early. So just the Ravens weren't explosive and no one can really get home outside of Demarcus Robinson. And I know he became popular since the last time we saw them against the Saints. Kenyon Drake had 26 touches to lead this backfield. Gus Edwards ruled out. I'm sure in Battle Royale, uh, Kenyon Drake caught on those last second drafts this morning. He was chalk in a very good spot for the Ravens. But genuinely, most of his production came down to that 29-yard run that helped set up Lamar Jackson's one-yard quarterback sneak for a touchdown. That was pretty much all of it. On the Panther side, Josh, I mean, it was as ugly as That's you can possibly so see. This is yeah. actually... Hayden, the first time, typically when I don't even draft Panthers games, I'll have it on a second screen. I just did not feel compelled in the least to watch it. So I'm going in yeah. blind when re-watching it this week. There's no need. You don't really have to. Uh, DJ Moore couldn't get home because the offense wasn't moving the ball. Terrace Marshall had some prayer yards at the end of the game. Uh, Deontay Foreman, it's the same type of thing. Only 28% of the routes in a loss. If he has the positive game script going, he can get home. But how often do you want to be getting into bed with a uh, positive game script on this Panthers 
uh, offense. So I don't know if they're going to go to Sam Darnold, um, but Baker Mayfield's clearly not it. So it doesn't really matter. Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, who cares? DJ Moore, you're praying for, for garbage time production, and the offense wasn't even good enough to get that. Every game that Baker Mayfield has played this year, DJ Moore hasn't recorded more than 60 receiving yards. I hope it's Darnold. Visca tied for the most receptions in this game on the team and had seven it's total yards. A joke. <laughs> yeah, and Visca ran 10 routes. So when he's out there, he's schemed up the ball. Uh, when everyone else is out there, they're they're hoping to get the ball. Yeah, I mean, DJ Moore was at every single snap player here, but it just... Final point, Deontay Foreman has been on fancy scores Jekyll and Hyde. And it's pretty easy to tell when it's going to happen because when they're losing in a negative game script, he just does not get home because he's the punisher. Like he's just to run over you. However, we thought that like that was going to happen in the opposite way against the Bucks, and then they dominate the Bucks, And so he has a massive day there too. So again, it, Vegas is telling us what we should expect from Deontay Foreman. It's just up to the Panthers to suck enough for us to know if Deontay Foreman is not going to get home or to get home. If that makes sense. Not, not that shocking. He got home in two games against the Falcons and nothing else mattered because even in that Bucks game, you didn't start him. Uh, Chuba Hubbard out touched out targeted and out carried him in that game. And the Chuba Hubbard got injured only then letting Foreman explode. So yeah, it is what it is. But it's rough because like when he does do well, he's a top 10 back for you. And it's tough at this point in the season to erase that from your mind. But we're again, I, we're trying to outline at least Daigle is better than I am vocabulary wise outline the process of it like if the panthers are 13 point underdogs like they were in this game probably don't play deontay Foreman. can't play him. well that's yeah. gonna be every single week you got you have the men in black this erase it from your me memory those deontay foreman weeks are probably long gone he also had a seven percent target or seven and a half percent target share in those two games with chuba hubbard coming into this game so he also had a very low floor so yeah the game script suggested you can't play this guy you just can't oh. Before you guys jump to Sunday Night Football, be sure to hit subscribe, hit a thumbs up. Again, we'll have two shows this week, a different schedule, uh, no stats versus film. We're just doing a three-game recap on Tuesday and then a full week 12 slate. Oh, there it is. Look at that underdog football show, Tony. Oh, it's so beautiful. Who's going to be the first ones to enter? We have, we have somebody right in it. Get in there. Love it. Get in there right now. You want to go ahead. Three-game recap Thursday night? No. No. Oh, okay. I was about to say, do I need to be sober for something? Is that no, what you're trying no, to tell no, me? No, okay. No, 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 no. You enjoy the family. A three-game preview on Tuesday night, and then a full week 12 preview on Wednesday. That's how we're going to do it this week. Because, okay. hey, and I need to spend some time with our families. And go and play the freaking game in the lobby so we can get some credit at this awesome company. Okay, here we go. New England oh, Patriots no. 10, New York Jets 3. I'm going to save you all 58 minutes of game action and take you to the only moments that mattered in this contest. Three to three, one minute and 25 seconds left on the clock because of two missed field goals from Nick Folk, who prior to this game had made 17 straight field goals against the New York Jets and two dropped interceptions by their defense from Zach Wilson. This was set up for the Jets Second-year quarterback to show something. A team with two weeks to prepare for an awful performance that he had just a few weeks ago with the mind-blowing, mind-melting three interceptions. And what he did in the second half was lead an offense that gained three inches per play in the final two quarters. He averaged Zach Wilson and this Jets offense averaged three inches per play. It was oh, cold, yeah. to be fair. And, the, and windy. <laughs> He says, <laughs> on the day Zach Wilson ends 
with 22 passing attempts for 77 yards. He panicked, zero trust from Mike LaFleur and this coaching staff in him because they are scared and terrified anytime he has to play outside of structure. And this is the perfect example of it. 125 left on the clock. They have on their own 25-yard line, two timeouts in their pocket. They were gifted a first down to a penalty after three straight passing attempts, two incompletions, one sack, first down. They go run, run, and then their quarterback on third and one throws the football behind the line of scrimmage for a two-yard loss. Mm -hmm. So about 30 seconds, 25 seconds left on the clock. Man, the punter, kicks it into the middle of the field, and Marcus Jones returns it. 84 yards for a touchdown to win it in the end. The Jets, again, were so feeble on offense, so great on defense, that looking around, I've never been in one. I've never been on an NFL team. But you have to be so, let's say, lack of curiosity, lack of awareness to not say, Hey guys, this is on me from the quarterback position. And instead Zach Wilson goes out there and's like, no man, the offense didn't let the defense down. Like this is just a jets fans moment where they have to be honest with themselves and realize sure winning record six and four still in the playoff hunt, but this guy cannot do it. He has not been able to make the leap so far. And if you think he's going to, you're just waiting and hoping, and that's it. Well, simple question for you guys. Have we seen enough of Zach Wilson to know that he's not the franchise quarterback? Look at this chart versus Sam Darnold. He's worse than Sam Darnold has been at every single point of his career. He was a boom-bust prospect coming into this and hasn't. So if, if he is not the long-term answer, and you know you're going to be getting rid of him after this year based off of his play through 20 career games, would you go to Joe Flacco, because he's unquestionably better for this offense, and try to save this season uh, because they are definitely in the playoff hunt because their defense has been phenomenal as it was today. So would you go to Joe Flacco at this point? Because you've seen enough of Zach Wilson to know that he's not the franchise quarterback, or is that too soon? And you want to play this kind of middle ground where you're going to piss off Elijah Moore, piss off Garrett Wilson and piss off all the rest of your young superstars. I think you have to make the change. You have to be able to move. You have to be able to move the ball, especially because now that you're last place in your division, since you don't even have the type, the six and four tiebreaker over the third place Patriots, since they've now beaten you twice in the last three weeks, you at least have the tiebreaker over the seven and three Bills because you've beaten them one time this year. So, given that the Dolphins have the same record as Buffalo, like now's the chance. Like you have to make the you have to make the change. Josh, are you benching him? Yes or no? Yes, because he's not an NFL quarterback. Yeah, like just from watching the second half, they can't even open things up like they are not even willing to try because they know what the outcome is going to be like they know it's going to be so insanely negative such a horrible play is going to happen two dropped interceptions here one by dev mccordy yeah. another one on a outside breaking route on in the fourth quarter that you're calling in fear because i think it's for multiple reasons one it puts your defense in a worse position if you have turnovers on your side of the field but also maybe some fear of of just ruining whatever future Zach Wilson has if he has another one of these bad games. Like I think that that goes into that. And Mike LaFleur can really draw it up in the run game. We've talked about it a lot this season. It didn't happen today. So when that doesn't happen and your defense still plays well, the passing game has to step up 
And the only time it has this year is that comeback win against the Steelers. And like, that's it. It's over. Uh, Mac Jones, anything. I saw that they were moving the ball, but nothing explosive. And I, the second question for you, Josh, is Ramondre Stevenson versus Damian Harris. Coming into this week, we forgot that Damian Harris has been injured this entire time. There's definitely more of a split here. Is there anyone that you have any confidence with starting in fantasy for the Patriots, including like someone like Jacoby Myers? Well, one, the root of it is the Patriots offensive line is really bad this season. Okay. So heading into it, Trent Brown, who was a starting left tackle, uh, had an illness. So Isaiah Wynn was starting at that spot. Who's also been bad this year. Isaiah Wynn leaves almost immediately in the first two series of this game. So you have to reinstall Trent Brown, David Andrews, who was just coming back for this game after being injured and is the anchor of that front five left with what is considered to be a serious injury. And he's going to miss an extended period of time. And we've seen Cole strange go in and out of the lineup. So while Damian Harris had a 22 yard run, I believe he also had a 30 yard run. He had a 16 yard reception. Like these are all really good. There are other times where they just get stuffed right at the line of scrimmage. The jets front is very good. Um, because the blocking is just not nearly what it was last season. And I think we can debate the passing concepts and the passing success and the rushing success and so on and so forth. But unless this offensive line improves, it's just, there's going to be a huge ceiling to this offense in general. To your point, I bet we do see more 50 50 moving forward, as you said, heading into this game with Damian and Ramondre. And that's not to say Ramondre didn't have a good game. There's this awesome third and 16 that he caught like a four yard pass, made three or four defenders miss and converted it. So he had his own isolation, force miss tackles, same thing every week. But again, it should have really been nine to three at the end of this game with two field goal performances. And that's what was capped by this offense. He also has 13 catches in his last two games with Damian Harris now. So the passing usage is at least still there. Yeah, he played way more of the snaps here. So it's it's still Ramondre well ahead of Damian Harris. But of note, Damian Harris is actually healthy now and he played much better. Yes. ripping off a bunch and of good. games. Yeah, so I think I think the gap is not going to be as wide. Like there were some times where you can rank Ramondre as like a top three, top five back in some of these weeks. Now we're getting back to like running back 14 versus like running back 28 when it was just like by himself. And to be fair, there was a big margin in projecting. I, I saw numerous companies give Ramondre Stevenson widely different projections. But also, like, remember what I argued for our, our side was Damian Harris out before the bye in that last game with an illness, not even an injury. So I actually wasn't worried about him this game. Yep. And there's a difference. Like, I'm not saying Mac Jones played well. But there's a difference in him going 23 of 27 for 246 yards while also being sacked six times versus what Zach Wilson puts on the table of nine for 22 and 77 yards and getting sacked four times. Like one is low a dot. Let's get the ball out of his hands and try to create, you know, four to five to six yard chunk gains or create some third down conversions versus a dude that's just wholly incapable of doing that on the opposite end. And that is, you know, somewhat winning, but ugly football versus just not offense and moving the football at all. All right. Next up. Dig, what was your next game? Commanders at Texans? Considering I, I didn't know one. when we hopped on. Um, yeah, not Commanders, Texans. Well, we can well, go to that one. That's a, that's another 30-second game if you want to do that one. All right, I have that one real quick. Uh, talk me through this. Hate him because don't look now. The Washington Commanders are 6-5 and five on the season. Being the Houston Texans, 23-10 to 10 today. It was a disgusting game here. Uh, we have to start with the Texans side just because they had – five yards at halftime 
and that doesn't include a pick six five yards at halftime it was 246 I mean, to five at halftime i believe at halftime and and davis mills had negative one net yards with that pick six uh not even included with that so it was i mean you can't even there's Damian Pierce has no chance at this point. It's like he's out there for like the same amount of snaps, but I mean, we're getting to an unwatchable level with the Texans. Davis Mills is doing absolutely nothing. Did get in with the touchdown late in the game, but they can't move the ball. It was all garbage time. Jonathan Allen is an absolute problem for the Washington defensive line and Kenyon green. The Texans first round pick was getting absolutely bull rushed into the quarterback. So Nico Collins uh, and Brandon cooks are both out there, I guess, but Neither of them are strong flex plays at this point. And then with the commanders, uh, Brian Robinson, I believe, only uh, ran around 17% of the dropbacks. Antonio Gibson was out there. To me, still looks better. Uh, Terry McLaurin gets a couple of prayer yards, but Curtis Samuel walks away with uh, the red zone touchdown on a little jet sweep flick. Um, so it was like kind of status quo. The commanders didn't like show me anything here. It was just the Texans are so beyond unwatchable. Um, we should start forfeiting their picks. The commanders did come out, though, afterwards, Ron Rivera, and named Taylor Heineke starter moving forward. Mm. My biggest fear, my biggest takeaway from this is Damian Pierce has been unbelievable this season. But in a game, which we might have ones like this for the Texans moving forward, where they just totally suck and go up against a more dominant defense. And when you're, you know, offensive lineman and Kenyon Green gets shoved back, like you said, from Jonathan Allen, that means Damian Pierce gets 10 carries for eight yards. Couldn't go anywhere. But... 12 of 13 running back touches, Josh, the usage. I know. I know. That's what I'm saying. Like even I half jokingly say that I know, I know tongue in cheek, but he's done it all year again, already on a team that was one. Like there is no difference between this Texans team and the one that we saw four weeks ago. Uh, I think culture and giving up and mm. Brandon. Cook, I think, I think there, there is a difference. This team has no soul right now. Maybe Brandon, they need Jack Easterby back. Cooks mm. didn't have his first catch until the second half. Uh, Davis Mills' first play was a pick six. That was the perfect analogy for how this game would go. Um, it, it was it was bad. It was really bad. Again, Washington at six and five have really turned it around. Falcons and then double up with the Giants after that. So mm. some real toss up games. Some real toss up games. So potentially all go all the way to like nine and five this season or eight and six this season. Speaking of those Giants, Diggle, why don't we jump over there to yours? Lions at the Giants because this is one of those teams who. Start off the season red hot, now drop to seven and three, and lose this game to the Detroit Lions, who are definitely frisky, but it wasn't close. We've seen one score games all season long and coming out on top for Brian Dayball's big blue, but they lose 31 to 18 to the Lions today. It was even less close than the final score suggests. DeAndre Swift got a touchdown inside the five-yard line. That's how much of a blowout this was. They felt comfortable giving him the ball over Jamal Williams inside the 10. Uh, This is also Detroit's first three-game winning streak since November 2017. They led 24-6 to at one point, and Defensive Rookie of the Year, per me, Aiden Hutchinson, who now has the same number of interceptions as Sauce Gardner and more sacks than Trayvon Walker and Kayvon Thibodeau combined, recorded an interception and a fumble in this game, which the Lions converted into 14 points. And that was really the whole story. I mean, Sauce Gardner is going to be the defensive player of the year for rookies. Like, this isn't a contest, but go That's ahead. That's ridiculous. Considering no, it's Aiden not ridiculous. Aiden Hutchinson's first three sacks. Oh, well. He went spun into him. Given their, given their record, 
I guess they give it to Sauce Gardner. <laughs> yeah, of course they're it's, going It's to. one of the worst defenses we've ever seen the Lions. He can have That's 18 true. sacks. It's not going to Now, matter. to be fair, Aiden Hutchinson has improved because other than those three sacks, I'd say that for the first half of the season, he was virtually invisible, and I think right. he's gotten better. So, not to derail you, Daigle, but I just wanted to set the record straight with that statement. I'm, I'm leaving the lights on because it's for the <laughs> same people for the same people that thought Nick Sirianni is doing a terrible job as coach of the year just because they're playing a soft schedule. Like, I'm not having it. Aiden Hutchinson okay. still can Dale, still do you think a single voter is watching these games? Are they looking and refreshing the team stats and saying, oh, he was a first rounder. I'm go I'm voting him. That's the And unfortunately, there. I don't think it's like MVP. Like the change didn't happen to where you have a ballot of five players, yep. not just one. So right. maybe he won't. Or win. like, you know, we get nicknames of Thousand Island right. already instead well, of, you know. Lions fans, Island. you heard me. I, I'm on your side. No. Nonetheless, talk, nonetheless. Talk me through this Jamal Williams, 17 carry, 64 yard, three touchdown performance. Because you look around. So much has gone on with DeAndre Swift and how much is he playing today? Five for 20 in the score score is the fourth touchdown of all these backs. And then Justin Jackson has even more carries than him with nine for 63. It was all Jamal Williams again. Uh, DeAndre Swift with single digit touches for the third consecutive game, less than or 31% of the snaps or less for the third consecutive game. Still basically a nobody in this offense as he struggles to continue to get healthy. Uh, he did have that touchdown, but that was complete garbage time in the final quarter. And again, he only did so because it was such a blowout. They didn't put Jamal Williams back on the field inside the five yard line. Both Brock Wright and Amon Ross St. Brown got tackled at the one yard line. And when that happened, yep. we all knew yep. it's Feed all it. Jamal Williams Feed time. <laughs> they, have, they have one play on the one yard line and no one can stop that one play as Williams mm -hmm. now leads the NFL with 12 rushing touchdowns. Yep. Hip how could he not be your, how could he not be your favorite player in the league? Like there's, so there's true. nothing better than Jamal Williams right now. I, I couldn't even guess what the odds are for him to lead the, the league in touchdowns this year, but he's currently the leader. I got a hot take for you. Is Jamal Williams just better than Deandre Swift this entire week? The lions had Deandre Swift as full, full, full on the practice report did not have him on the injury report coming into this game and they're not playing him. And it was the same thing as last week where he's full practice on Friday. At some point you can't be hiding behind the injuries. I know that DeAndre Swift had that quote that he's not fully healthy, but you're practicing in full. No one's really healthy. There's so many plays where he's trying to hit the home run, not pressing the line of scrimmage, not getting upfield. And Jamal Williams is the anti version of that running down uh field, running over your face and then hitting you with a, with the Nene in the end zone. I posted that play of DeAndre Swift last week when he had maybe a 20-yard gain or more if he makes a safety miss for that touchdown, what, against the Bears? And instead, he runs it back in for an eight-yard gain. Uh, I didn't watch Hard Knocks because that stuff is so unbelievably boring now, but apparently people who did said that all Hard Knocks, Deuce Daly was all over DeAndre Swift saying, hey, man, don't hit the big play every single time. Like, pick up so the yards that are blocked for you. And that's exactly what he did in terms of try to create something big that wasn't there. And so for a coaching staff that is full of former players, I think they believe in, hey, this guy's going to, we want to play the player who we know we're going to get out of them. And it's so much clearer that that's Jamal Williams versus DeAndre Swift, despite the difference when all of us, the biggest Jamal Williams fans, can say that he is less explosive than DeAndre Swift. And on that third and one this game that they gave him, where he fumbled, he recovered his own fumble, and then with a gap in the middle, ran to the outside, got tackled behind the line of scrimmage. 
that's exactly as you're saying, trying to create the big play rather than taking the gap that he's supposed to run through. And of course, he comes off the field and Dan Campbell is just viciously eyeing him. And from that point forward, we saw even more Jamal Williams than was expected. So the usage is going in a very poor direction. The efficiency is going in a very poor direction. That's what DeAndre Swift is right now. He reminds me of Antonio Gibson. Like you can, he is, he has the potential to be good. I'm not writing off DeAndre Swift, but this version is very similar to how it was last year. We can still rip off big plays. We've seen Antonio Gibson have big weeks because of this. So I'm not writing mm-hmm. off DeAndre Swift, but right now the consistency is just not there. Williams also the first lines player to reach 10 rushing touchdowns in a season since James Stewart in 2000. James Stewart, of course, who Hayden does not know. Never heard of him. Lions no. beat writer Colton Pouncey mentions that every single time, like, X player gets down to the one yard line and I just have it in my bones to quote tweet it. We know who's getting the ball right now because every single, I mean, Jamal Williams heading into the season had 13 rushing scores for his career. This year he has 12. Like we Hayden did a great job, namely you last year in James Connor, you know, and this entire summer there in August, we have the receipts to post it. 140 selections between where DeAndre Swift was going in drafts and where Jamal Williams was when every single report, this is why we care about preseason. We care about the athletic. We care about beat writers saying that it's going to be much closer than that, that the role in goal line and short yard situation, the high value touches were Jamal Williams to own. And this is what happens when you get lucky with one yard touchdowns, but we know who the roles are and the responsibilities are. This is why we love to invest in players in best ball like Jamal Williams, despite the smaller quote unquote yardage and explosive ceiling because six points, pretty important for fantasy football. Amon Ross St. Brown, seven for 76 as a huge win. So like, that's like not the absolute floor, but for the rest of the season, I mean, copy paste seven for 76. And, and, and then sometimes he'll get 10 passes when the Lions lose. He's he's had 35.8% of the team's targets since TG Hawkinson was traded. Hmm. I can clean up the Giants side really easily for us. Uh, Daniel Jones, his streak had ended, the longest streak without an interception, as he now has two, and had not thrown one before this game in 153 consecutive pass attempts since week three. Again, because of defense player of the year, Aiden Hutchinson. Also, Saquon Barkley, fresh off a career-high 35 carries. That's what it really looked like in this game. I'm not even going to give credit to the Lions defense, honestly. He just didn't look fresh. He finished second on the day at next-gen stats in the fewest rushing yards over expected, only ahead of Damian Pierce, who, again, eight yards on 10 carries. Um, Chalk it up to that performance and maybe just being tired, but still 17 to 21 running back touches in this game. Matt Breida gets the goal line carry, vultures it because it's garbage time. Can you talk me through Wandale? Because mm-hmm. is this any different than what we've seen this season? I know he left with a knee injury and was ruled out pretty early on. Significant on crutches on crutches after the game. Okay, well then maybe it's not worth talking about the rest of the year. But at least from this perspective, because I thought he was a slot only player, and you know it was short to intermediate and namely intermediate at times. Is there anything you want to say? Because this might be the last time we see him this season. No, honestly, because the Lions are bottom three and metrics. Yeah. Uh, in defending slot receivers. So the matchup was supposed to be well on paper, but I just didn't believe it because it's Wandell Robinson. Um, mm-hmm. I, I would say the bigger takeaway is that even with Wandell leading the team with 13 targets, Darius Slayton checks in with a 22.7% target share and, and 10 targets and now has a 23% target share the last two games since the Giants returned from their bye. That's the pickup you need still. Wandell Robinson, 80% snaps in the slot this week. So same thing, just negative game script. He can, he can have Jameson Crowder type of weeks. 
Last game that I had, the Cincinnati Bengals improved to six and four on the season, being the Pittsburgh Steelers 37 to 30. 67 points combined. Uh, Joe Burrow, 24, 39, 355, four touchdowns. But the touchdowns did not go to players that you'd expect them to. Yes, three receiving scores for Samaje P. Ryan, who caught four passes for 52 yards. Now, some might say, well, that's because Joe Mixon left in this game. No, two touchdowns for Samaje P. Ryan before Joe Mixon left with a concussion. The first was a 29-yarder, a great screen, Wide receiver blocking down the field. 67, his left guard, was a convoy for him all the way down the right sideline. An 11-yarder, the second was a swing pass. Mike, 41, had to go through you know multiple wide receiver routes to get there. Made a miss at line of scrimmage. Then again, he tightrope the right sideline. Um, T. Higgins, fantastic in this game. Nine for 148 on 13 targets. He was winning everywhere, like isolated on the left sideline. We get over routes. From the slot, uh, he was on the page with Joe Burrow in this game from start to finish, but it took until the fourth quarter for Tyler Boyd in one lone drive to get two receptions for 42 yards. So that was really weird to see some passes skidded at the feet of Tyler Boyd and then some really tough and timing passes thrown in the direction of T. Higgins. And then at the end of the day, some random dude named Trent Irwin gets three receptions for 42 yards and a score. I think part of it, I have to go back and look, is that Tyler Boyd was asked to play maybe more as an outside wide receiver and not in the slot. And we know he's just so much better uh, in that slot role. And then finally, I am conceding to our long friend, Justin Herzig here, because I think Chris Evans was active for this game. Or was he inactive for this game? Inactive. He was on the injury report all week. Was okay. questionable. Barely Even Travion Williams stepped in as the second running back when Samaje P. Ryan uh, closed this game out as as the starter. But this is a good one for the Bengals, who you know exercised some demons here from Week One when Joe Burrow threw four interceptions. Did have two here because one was an unreal play by T.J. Watt, who once again batted pass down at the line of scrimmage and caught it on his own. This is a really good victory for them for a really frisky Steelers team, probably the most frisky we've seen them all season long. Quick Jamar Chase update. He's off the crutches. Just got off the crutches, though. They're calling him questionable for week 12. There's like seems like there's some optimism, but I don't know how you go from crutches to playing within a week. Maybe Jamar Chase is just that type of dude. But um, if he's not out there, T. Higgins is like very capable of these monster games. Very fluky uh, two previous games with, with Jamar Chase not out there. This is like more of the baseline for T. Higgins. Absolute alpha. The 33% target share is all you need to hear. Also, like it, Jamar Chase probably does come back. Um, but man... Two of the last three seasons, Zach Taylor has lied about Joe Mixon's injury and re- recovery for literally a half of a season, and mm. we believed him the whole time. So I'm just not I'm not buying into it personally for redraft leagues. But maybe maybe Chase does return. I don't I don't think last I'm last two games we've seen from the Bengals it was that Panthers game when Joe Mixon had four scores, and then against the Steelers team we had Samaj P Ryan for three scores. They do have the Titans coming up, and we know how good they've been against running backs. I do want to talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers here. Because it's a team that's been really frustrating to watch because we know how talented George Pickens and Deontay Johnson have been this year and the ball just hasn't gotten to them. Uh, Today, this was easily the most vertical Kenny Pickett and company have been uh, this season. I mean, George Pickens had a 33-yard catch. Frymuth had a 27-yard catch. Um, A huge difference. I mean, heading into this game, this is from Rich Rebar, on throws 10-plus yards down the field, Kenny Pickett was 20 of 53 with zero touchdowns and seven interceptions. Um, Today, again, four for 83 and a touchdown for George Pickens, by far their longest touchdown. In fact, they had the two longest touchdowns of the season in this game because they had none previously of shorter than nine yards. 
Uh, hopefully, this is like a spot to build on for Kenny Pickett, who uh, was, was he was being forced to throw under duress. There was a really bad miss that he had to George Pickens yeah. uh, earlier on, but again, two plays later, he connects on what a thirty-three yard score to him. So, look, I'm not the biggest fan. I don't know what his trump card is, what his calling card is, what his superpower is, but. This was probably, I think, maybe from start to finish, one of his better performances of the year, and at the very least, the most aggressive we've seen, and that can heighten the ceiling of George Pickens and Deontay Johnson the rest of the way. I think Pickens had as many head shakes as he did receptions today. Mm. Mm. I, will, I will watch this game on tape. I'm just glad they got George Pickens, the alpha, uh, the ball. He was absolutely roasting uh, Eli Apple in a couple of those plays. And Najee Harris, um, Jalen Warren leaves with a hamstring injury, right? And then Najee Harris, I think was, there was a report before the game started that he was going to get a, like a larger chunk of the carries. It didn't seem like that was actually happening. Jalen Warren leaves early, but Najee Harris a little bit more um, explosive this last week. It's probably just noise, but he's at least out there. Well, his 19-yard touchdown run was pressing the hole, bouncing it to the left. There was absolutely no one there, and then he hurdles it into the end zone. So that's good to see. Maybe the offensive line is starting to gel this late in the year, you know, when they're three no. and seven. <laughs> no. All right. Those are all the games that we had for Sunday. Let's actually rewind it all the way back to Thursday night because there's a lot to talk about here, especially since we don't have stats versus film uh, for the Titans beating the Green Bay Packers 27 to 17. Let's bypass the Titans here for a moment. Let's focus in on Hayden with Christian Watson, six targets, four receptions, 48 yards, and two scores. There was a section of this game where of his last six receptions, Christian Watson had five touchdowns. So while the volume and the yardage might not be high, it's so clear that he is in the simplest form in a simple statement, the touchdown scorer for this offense. Is that like a real statement we can make? He's their downfield threat and he's been winning downfield and those lead to touchdowns. I don't think like this touchdown rate is not sustainable, but his role is sustainable as long as Romeo Dobbs is out. Randall Cobb back healthy going into the slot. Uh, Sammy Watkins probably not going to see the field basically anymore Alan Lazard earned a ton of targets here but Christian Watson uh his athleticism is translating and goes downfield so I think Christian Watson Alan Lazard both to me are wide receiver threes I, I'm guessing the the Packers offense is going to get a little bit better down the stretch than it was uh, earlier on this season so um they're fine like I think they're good players I'm, I'm excited to see what Christian Watson does like intermediate if they're gonna like scheme him up stuff because we saw that a lot in in college uh, right. But like a lot of his production the last two weeks has just been downfield. Christian Watson had 14 targets before the last two weeks. And he had 10 catches for 88 yards and no touchdown on those targets. He has 14 targets the last two weeks. He has eight catches for 155 yards and five touchdowns. It is not sustainable. Uh, Thursday night, he had a 15% target share all, with two touchdowns to boot. So you should keep playing him because the matchups are soft, but certainly not sustainable. Okay, my comment on this, and I mostly agree with you all, but I think there's a pretty clear difference with what the pass catchers are this year without Devontae Adams and the Packers versus him hogging the inside the 10 and inside the 20-yard targets last season. Um, because as I've compared him a skill set-wise as that vertical playmaker, as you said, Hayden, to MVS. But the big difference is there's no Devontae Adams to dominate the red zone and 10-yard but they also don't get year. to the end zone and the red zone, you Correct. know, like, so it doesn't matter. Like it's, if it's, if it's a higher percentage, but they don't ever get down there. Like, does it really matter that much? But I do want to give a bit more credit to Christian Watson. Cause I've been critical of the past again, that saying he is all athlete. Like there was that pass two weeks ago where he took the inside stem and won his vertical route and got down the field for that score this past week. 
obviously in that broken play against the Titans, he was able again to use his athleticism and win contested for that first score. And the second one, he changed the pacing in his route. You know, he slow played across the formation and then caught it in the back half again in an extended play when he gets to use his athleticism. Um, I just feel like this is what Aaron Rodgers needs because we haven't seen any verticality to this offense at all. And while he can be an imperfect player, I think we are all recognizing that, but at the same time, hey, play him every week because touchdowns and big plays equal fancy points. And he is the most likely to do this on this team, despite, you know, Alan Lazard getting 11 targets, five receptions for 57 yards. Cause they are just the archetypes of these two players are wildly different. I think that's how it's going to happen. I think Al Mazar is going to outpace him in targets. And then Christian Watson, if he, if he can stay hot with these touchdowns, will be relevant. And it's going to be boom bust. He's a better and best ball type of player. He's been going off. But I don't think, like like Daigle's saying, like, I wouldn't call this a trend that he's just going to be scoring all these touchdowns. Like, the Packers next week are probably going to have an implied team total of 21 points, 22 points. Aaron Jones gets his. AJ Dillon mixes in. Tanyan, Al Mazard. I mean, like, he's not scoring double-digit touchdowns all the time. So, like, like that one... Aaron Rodgers had 11 and a half yards per attempt against the Cowboys. He went into that game averaging six and a half yards per attempt against the Titans. His softest matchup of the year, he had 5.6 yards per attempt. Like, it's just like, no, this it's not just the story of Christian Watson's rates. It's a story of the Packers offense not sustaining because they're bad. They are mm-hmm. terrible. Mm-hmm. I haven't had a chance to go back and watch Traylon Burks's game. Obviously, at the end, he gets that 51 yarder. Uh, I think tells Jair Alexander that, hey, buddy, you're short at the end. Like, you're not my level. Um, other than that, you know, six for 60 yards prior to that. Um, I'm excited. It felt like they peppered him at times and wanted to start funneling targets to him. It's a passing game again, just 29 total attempts, but Ryan Tannehill on his 27 attempts was very efficient with 22 completions. Uh, uh go ahead. Bur- Burks also still worked in three wide sets, ran the yep. third most routes among their wide receivers. So you would think at some point, maybe the role grows saying there's still meat on the bone here for a player earning an elite amount of targets per route run. And I, I guess the overarching point here is even with flawed prospects and flawed rookies, it's more likely for them to hit in the second half of seasons and in this area because they're actually starting to learn what the NFL game is, being more accustomed and comfortable to the team that they're on and what their role and what they're being asked to do. So I don't know if Traylon Burks and, again, Christian Watson are – necessarily developing as players, but at this point in the season is when we should be buying into them and believing them, despite, again, the early season frustrations that both gave us. I will not be copy-pasting per route data into bigger samples. Like, it's kind of happened with, like, Rondell Moore, where it's, like, the, the numbers are elite right now because when he's on the field, they scheme him up. I don't think that if he becomes a full-time player, like, those those rates just continue on. Um yeah, I'm with you. Post by rookie bump type of player, um, boom bust prospect. We'll see what happens. I don't think that I want to be getting too involved with the Titans passing offense, especially as he's the number three in routes. All right. We'll close with two games. Ask questions because we have not watched them yet. In overtime, the Las Vegas Raiders beat the Denver Broncos 22 to 16 on a walk-off touchdown, 35-yarder scored by Devontae Adams. Uh, it looked like it was... Single high coverage against Patrick Sertan. Sertan projected it to be an over route, hit some ice, slipped on a banana. Devontae peels it back off to the back pylon, wide open for the score. Um, I actually thought the more interesting part of this was on the Broncos end because Russ was efficient for once, like 24 of 31, 
for 247 yards. Uh, Nathaniel Hackett gave the play calling over to someone else. I'm assuming it's going to stay that way, even if they, again, lose another game here. More importantly what? for, for Cortland Sutton, it's just him getting the seven targets and like Kendall Hinton has a couple of big plays here, but only three targets. You can't even name the rest of these type of players. So uh, Melvin Gordon uh, fumbles the ball late in the game and then they go back or uh, going into oh. halftime or whatever at, at the goal line. Um, and then it's all basically Latavius Murray. So I don't know what, if they're going to cut Melvin Gordon. Uh, I think Chase Edmonds leaves with an ankle injury here, but really Russ is at least playing good enough right now where Cor he can feed Cortland Sutton the ball and these Jerry Judy on off splits with Cortland Sutton, Sutton just get a little bit stronger today. Also go back and watch Kendall Hinton's first touchdown. Uh, should have been tackled. The Raiders are very bad at actually tackling. So a yes. little bit of a fluke there. This offense is still a complete mess. Latavius Murray's 17 carries. We're also a new season high mark for a Broncos running back. Not a single other Raider carried the football other than Josh Jacobs. Not a backup running back, yeah. not the quarterback at all. He was the only one to handle all 24 carries for 109 yards and also added three receptions for 51. It's a very, because it, I mean, both their seasons are over. Both are three and seven in the AFC West. But who knows what's happening with Josh Jacobs as a free agent this summer. Tony Pollard as a free agent this summer. Like the running back carousel or the contracts they might get dished out because both are having insane seasons will be very intriguing to watch. Doesn't matter for redraft, but they made Zamir White, I believe, a healthy scratch uh, this week. So that's kind of kind of interesting. Mm. Uh, Devontae Adams, I know, I don't know if you've heard of him. He's good. He's accounted for forty percent of the team's targets the last three games. All right, we'll close with the Rams at the Saints. Fittingly, Rams lose this one. Also three and seven on the season, twenty-seven to twenty against the Saints. Um, Andy Dalton silenced some questions here a little bit. Twenty-one to twenty-five, two sixty-three scores. I know Chris Olave went up and scored on a 53-yarder floated from a slot fade, I believe. Finished the day with five for 102, six targets. And uh, bigger storyline, Matthew Stafford exits after going 159 and two touchdowns with a concussion-like symptoms after already dealing with that a few games ago. We're at the point with Matthew Stafford is like two concussions back-to-back. -back. Like how long are they going to sit him? This season's completely over. We got Cooper Cup news that it seems like he's not going to return this season. They have to win games, and this this team's not going to be winning any games. So I think that Cup's out for the year, and Matthew Stafford, I wouldn't be surprised if they really, really take it slow with him. Al Robinson bails out with a touchdown, a uh, red zone touchdown for him. Uh, Tyler Higby with the most Tyler Higby line, I think, of all time. Eight targets translates to 45 yards. I saw that he had a drop mixed in. You can't play basically any of the Rams running backs behind this offensive line. So this is you're praying with, with Allen Robinson and praying with Tyler Higby and you're getting out. Just, of just don't pray. That's the moral of life because Allen Robinson, it was an end zone touchdown. Like it wasn't even a red zone touchdown. It's the same shit he's been getting. Uh, Tutu Atwell still ran the 50 routes among all their receivers. Wasn't even out there. Just happened to score a 60 yard touchdown. The one time he got out there, just don't do it to yourself. Stop it. But what a message to leave people with heading into Thanksgiving. Just don't pray. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Um, well, taste, enjoy your family. Taysom Hill, nine carries. He mixes in a little bit more. I saw him uh, uh, throw a couple passes as well. So I guess for a tight end, he's still like relatively in play. Juwan Johnson scores a touchdown. Chris Olave gets deep. Um, yeah. Andy Dalton played well. So no questions there. Uh, I, I will say it for the rest of the way, John Daigle. I have to repeat myself. Just don't break. No. The theory of the play of Allen Robinson and inside the 10 yard targets. Heading into this game, he was fourth in the league as percentage of teams target share at 40.7%. We got another one today, man.
let's let's see what that target share does with Bryson Hopkins. No, I know, I know. Just what I'm saying is the process of everything. I get it. Highlighting that. Not the worst thing, but the Rams could be the worst thing to watch. Also, go back and watch that uh, Chris Olave touchdown Hayden mentioned because it was a dot from Andy Dalton. Uh, Pressured, not even stepping up, scrambling for his life up the field, and I don't know if he could ever make that throw again for the rest of his life. It hits him perfectly in stride, Olave, downfield. We're at the end of the cycle with the Rams running backs. I think you guys already talked about this, but we're like Daryl Henderson was the trusted one to start the year. And now he finishes with the third most running back carries with two for he was nine. Trust one last week. Last week he led them in touches, and then he got put, as you said, third on the shelf here. What the hell? Cam Akers fourteen carries for sixty one, and Kyron Williams seven carries for thirty six. Stop it! They'll do it. And they're on like their fifth left tackle now. They lost another two during this game. Oh it's, my God. See that they're going to highlight Football Outsiders injury luck next year because they really they had some bad luck. All right, it's over. That's going to do it for us. Before we get out of here, this contest is already 25% filled, 27% filled. Go and play it during Sunday night football. All right. Go into, we do the whole thing for them. Yeah. 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 Drafts, lobby drafts, go to NFL. There it is. Go to slate Thanksgiving, Maine. And right there, the most glorious contest you've ever seen at underdog fantasy. We'll make it bigger. Attorney. Full chub. If you finish this one, we'll put in another one. And if you've never played on Underdog, enter promo code the show or click the link down below and we'll match your first deposit up to $100. So if you enter 20 bucks, we'll give you an extra 20 bucks and you can play this and max it out. There it is. And there no late is. swap. So you can actually, you know, see your family. If that's, I don't know if that's a pro or con, it kind of depends on you. But once the games start, there's no late swap. All right, that's going to do it for us. I know Daigle will be working around the clock this week, despite it being a holiday, on 4 for 4 and Betsperts and his podcast feed. We'll have a show again on Tuesday on Thanksgiving Slate and then Wednesday about the rest of Week 12. No stats versus film this week. Spending time with our families because that's important. Mm-hmm. All right, up the villa. We appreciate you chat, specifically Jay, Dave, Robert, Scampers, all of you. G squared and rhythm up the villa. We'll talk to y'all soon.